Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on whipandstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock.com, as well as amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. If you have a Bible, let's open up to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 in the New Testament. It's a pretty famous uh, story passage we're going to look at here tonight. Luke chapter 15. And I'm going to start by just reading the first two verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Obviously speaking about Jesus. There are two main groups of people that we see here in this passage. The first, the, the sinners. It's the idea, typically, it was prostitutes. It was very obvious, outward, sinful, sexual rebels. And then it was the tax gatherers who tended to be traitors to their own country who had sold out to the Romans, the oppressive government. They were working with them. They were hated. They were the scum of the earth. But these people liked Jesus because He was so warm. He was so inviting. He was so kind. And He received them. He would even eat with them, spend time with them, hang out with them, fellowship with them. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they're more of the stuck-up, arrogant, self-righteous kind of religious authorities. And they hated Jesus, and they hated the tax gatherers and the prostitutes, and they hated the fact that Jesus would spend so much time with them. It just burned them up. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. Now, something I said earlier, uh, I think, in this weekend, was the idea that if you really wanted to repent, you're probably going to have to get away from some of your friends that are dragging you down. And I shared a little bit of my story in that. But I tried to be clear, they don't need to be your running around crowd that you spend all your free time with, but you still need to have a relationship with them. You still need to love them. You still need to keep the door open because God might be working in their heart as well. And I want us to look at how Jesus responds to this situation. He's going to tell three parables, which are little stories with a meaning. But the first two are really short. We're going to look at them very quickly, and then the third one's longer. We're going to spend more time on that. So let's look at the first one, starting in verse 3. So He told them this parable, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing when he comes home. He calls together his friends and his neighbors and saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." So here's the mental image. He's like, listen, Pharisees, religious stuck-up people, if you had a bunch of sheep, if you had a hundred sheep, and one of them was a really stupid sheep, and he started eating grass and he just kept going, he wasn't paying attention until he got lost and all by himself, what do you do? You're going to leave the 99 who are safe and at home, and you're going to go find the one and bring it home. And when you get home, you're going to be so excited you found your lost stupid sheep, you're going to rejoice, and you're going to call other people to rejoice with you. You're going to have a party. And he says, when a genuine outward rebel repents and comes back to the Father, that's how God responds in heaven. He has a party. He rejoices. He loves that. I'm going to tell another parable, very similar. Keep going, verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it, and when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, 
For I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Same story. Right? Basically same thing. Woman, lamp, looks for the lost coin, finds it as a party. And some people have said that the first parable is kind of like trying to show us Jesus, the good shepherd who goes after the sheep. And then the second parable, the woman lights a lamp, and maybe that's supposed to refer to like the Holy Spirit who shines His light of revelation into our heart and He convicts us of our sin He brings us. And then there's going to be this third parable that's going to focus more on the Father. And this is where I want us to go a little bit deeper. Okay? Because the point of tonight is God has sought after... If you're in Christ, if you're a genuine Christian, that means God has sought after you. And you ought to have such a heart of gratitude and love to the Father that you say, I want to be like the Father. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. I want to praise the Father with my whole life. I want to be like Him. So I want to love the lost. I want to seek them. And I want to have a heart that rejoices when they repent. Which means, okay, to be a Christian, you have to be holy. You have to be serious about holiness. Which means getting away from some of the friends that drag you down. But in your getting away from them, you don't need to become arrogant, stuck up, holy huddle, look down your nose and kind of scorn them. Practical example, go back to my own testimony, but maybe this is it for you if you're like, there's a big party on Friday night. I know there's going to be a lot of bad stuff there. A lot of my friends are going, but I don't think I can go because I don't think I'm mature enough to handle it. Great, don't go. But then if some of your friends do go, and then Saturday night there's a big event at the barn, and they show up at the barn too, don't be standing in the corner like, you bunch of losers, you bunch of fakes. I know what you did. No, be glad they're here. Maybe God's drawing them. Be kind, be gracious, be compassionate. So, let's look at the longer parable. Verse 11, And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. We see rebellion. There's a dad, represents God. He's got two sons. And the younger son is going to give us a picture of the outward rebel. And he basically goes to his dad and says, Hey, Dad, I know you're rich. I know when you die, I'm going to get a bigger inheritance. I don't have to wait. I want it now. Sell the property. I want cash. And then he gets it. It's amazing. Guys, does this remind you of Adam and Eve? I don't really care about my relationship with you anymore. I just want the fruit of your trees. And God sometimes in His loving kindness and His wisdom will let us have the sin that we long for to show us that it don't really satisfy in the long run. He did it with Adam and Eve. He's doing it with his younger son. The father says, okay, sold the property. Here's the money. And the boy takes the money and run. He, he wants to get as far away from his dad and that religion as he can. He goes to a far country, a pagan country, and he parties his brains out. Probably has a great time. But at some point, the money runs out. He was probably like life of the party, buying drinks for everybody. At some point... The money runs out. And when the money ran out, guess what? His friends ran out. They were those fickle, fair-weather friends. They just like hanging out when he was rich, buying them drinks. 
And then the weather runs out. And there's a famine. And he can't even get any work. And I was reading one guy, a guy named John MacArthur, and he said probably what happened, I don't know if any of you have ever been downtown Birmingham or in another large city and you've had homeless people. And sometimes it's like if, you, if you're stopped at a red light, they almost come and they just start cleaning your windshield. They're just desperate for money. You're like, I don't want you. Don't, don't clean my windshield. I'm not going to pay you. They're so desperate for work. That's probably what this guy was doing. He's like, I'll do anything. I'll feed pigs. It's like the worst job. And the guy's like, okay, whatever. Go feed them. But he never paid him. And so the guy's like having to fight the pigs to get a corn cob to eat on something. It's miserable. And a lot of times when God wants to get our attention, He will bring hardship in our life to hurt us. Again, in the short run, like we talked about this morning, wound us in the short run to help us in the long run. And that's what happens to this guy. Okay? You may be having a lot of fun in your sin right now. I did for a while. It's always a short season though. And it always leaves a bitter aftertaste. And it will come to an end. God has got the game rigged. There was a band I used to listen to and they had a song and there was a line that says, God won't give you anything that will give you more pleasure than Him. Think about it. If God's desire is for you to have a relationship with Him and He made everything, He's not going to make something out there that will actually be better and more enjoyable for you than Him. You, you can't game the system, guys. You really want joy and happiness in life? It's only found in God. Rebellion always ends with a severe famine in a pig trough in one form or fashion or the other. So now this rebel is going to repent. Look at verse 17. But when he had come to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. And it just stopped there. Guys, sin is stupid. There's one great writer, a guy named St. Augustine, and he said, all sin is a lie. Sin is always stupid. And part of repentance is coming to your senses, coming back to the truth, coming back to reality. Just coming back to practical wisdom. It doesn't work. It's like somebody says, I want to go to Manhattan and I want to go to the top of the Empire State Building and I want to jump off without a parachute because that'll feel fun to free fall for a while. It's like, will that be fun to free fall for a while? Probably for about eight seconds. I don't know. And then it's going to end really poorly for you. Sin is always stupidity. It never works out in the long run. Now, for repentance to happen, it's usually preceded by two things. And we see it here. The first is, in some way, we come to the end of ourselves. God shows us the rebellious path, the sinful path, is a cursed path. It puts you in a pig trough fighting pigs for leftover corn cobs. It's not a good place to be. But then, while you're seeing the cursed way that sin will take you, you start to remember the compassion of the Father. Do you see what he said there? He said, man, my daddy's so rich. He's got so many people working for him. He's got some people that are just hired help. They're just day laborers. Have any of you ever had this happen in your neighborhood? It's like some old kind of broken down pickup truck will pull up in the front yard and somebody rings the doorbell and you're like, I hope I'm not home alone. This is weird. And you're like, you know, Mom, 
And they answer the door, and it's some guy, and he's like, hey, I just, I'm trying to make some money. I got a bunch of pine straw. Would you pay me some money to put... They're desperate for work. You understand what I'm saying? That's, that's like a hired laborer, a day worker. And what this guy says is, the day workers at my daddy's farm, he feeds them. He's so rich. He's so generous. He feeds those guys. He didn't have to. And he feeds them so well they have bread left over. They're probably feeding their extra bread to the hogs. The hogs on my daddy's farm eat better than I do. And when he sees the cursed way of his rebellion and the compassion of his father, it melts him. He says, i got to go home. And he gets up and he goes home. And did you notice? He's leaving his sinful friends behind. He's leaving the sinful country behind. That was part of his repentance, just like it was part of my repentance, and just like it's going to be some of your repentance. And notice this. He does better than Adam and even this. There's no blame shifting. Did you hear his little speech? He didn't say, well, Dad, you know, it was the culture that got me. Hey, I sinned. I sinned against you, Dad. I sinned against heaven. That means I sinned against God. He's humble. He's broken. He's like, you know what, just, just make me a hired helper. Because you're, you're so good. You're such a good daddy. You even treat the hired help good. There's his repentance. Let's look at his reception. Let's pick up right there in the middle of verse 20 where we left off. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. It's like he's moved in his guts with sympathy. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. I mean, I... I can just picture this covered in rags, probably in pig slop. Kind of just the walk of shame, you know? This is going to be so bad. It's going to be so terrible. Everybody's going to make fun of me. I'm going to be mocked. Because remember, this was an honor-shame culture back then. And when he had said, hey, Daddy, I wish you were dead. Just give me your stuff. He had shamed the Father. Probably all the other rich people in town thought, why did you ever let your son do that? You should have slapped him across the face and said, shut up. He's already embarrassed the father once. Now he's coming back. And he's ready to eat humble pie. But did you notice? The dad sees him from a long way off. It's like he's been looking. He's been longing. And he runs to him. He doesn't care that he's probably got pig nastiness all over him. He just gives him a big bear hug. Starts kissing him over and over again. And did you notice... The boy didn't even get to finish his speech. Hey, Daddy, I've sinned against him. He's like, shut up. I don't want to hear it. I'm just glad you're home. He said, go get the robe. And that's like the robe of the righteousness of Jesus and cover him up. Go get the ring. That would have been like Daddy's Platinum Visa card or American Express or whatever. They didn't have that back then, but they had these signet rings where you could go into town and say, I got Daddy's ring. I'll put his sign on it and buy whatever I want. I mean... He's saying, you're back in the family, son. I love you. All is forgiven. We're totally reconciled. Put shoes on his feet. That doesn't mean much to us. But back then, rich people had shoes. Poor people didn't get shoes. It was a luxury. And he's like, you're not going to be a hired worker. You're my son. You're fully restored. You're all the way back in. Now, what is the application for us? First, just ask yourself this question. 
Do you rejoice when rebels repent? Do you even notice? Do you even care? Do you have a heart like the Father? Do you have a heart like the Son, like the Holy Spirit, to even to seek and save the lost, to go after them, to love them, to talk to them? And listen, you may say, I don't really know any lost people. I go to Broadwood Church, Broadwood School. I play Broadwood soccer. I just got Broadwood coming out of my ears. I, okay, well, I promise you probably do know somebody. And if you don't think you do, pray that God will bring them into your life. Pray that God will give you a heart for them. Pray that God will give you opportunities to talk to them. Because, listen, it's wonderful to grow up in a great church, in a great school, in a great family, in a great community. You know, some people said Birmingham, Alabama is like the belt buckle of the Bible belt. And there's a lot of benefits that come with that. Better to grow up here than in North Korea. Right? But there are some dangers of growing up when you're so saturated with Christianity, you get inoculated to it. You understand that word, right? Everybody got the COVID shot or maybe you didn't. I don't care. You got a flu shot, whatever, right? A vaccine, I'm going to give you a little bit of the disease so that you never catch the real thing. And that's easy to do with Christianity when you're just soaked in it your whole life. And we forget how radical it is that God loves wicked rebels and He goes after them. And even if you're in the family sometimes, you can just think, I've just always been a Christian. I don't really remember when I became a Christian. Listen, if that's true, praise the Lord. When boring testimonies are true, they're the best. Just walk with Jesus your whole life. But don't forget, even if you really became a Christian at age three, it didn't have anything to do with your goodness or innocence. It just had to do with the compassion and the mercy and the generosity of Father God. And you should be quick to turn around and show that to others. But a lot of us, we may not be the rebel, but it's really easy to subtly become the self-righteous, arrogant Pharisee that gets in the holy huddle and looks down our nose at those bad people out there and just kind of scorn them. I would never do that. Did you hear what she said? Did you hear what he did? Listen, if you've been born in another family, you might be doing worse stuff than they are. Look at how the older son is going to respond, starting in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, What do these things mean? And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came home who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting, and literally it was necessary. We had to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Do you hear the arrogance there? He comes back, he hears a party, and he's suspicious. Stuck up self-righteous people that don't like parties. What's all this loud music and dancing about? He won't even go in. Sends one of the hired help. 
Uh, your brother came back. Dad's really excited having a big party. Then he, now he's really mad. Self-righteous people get angry a lot. They like to call it righteous anger. It's usually not. And once again, the father humbles himself. Listen, if this father had been like most other Jewish fathers back then, just imagine this. You're the, you're the king. You're the rich guy. You're having a party. Hey, your son's outside pouting again. I don't want to talk to him. I'm having a party. He wants to talk to me. He can come in here and grovel. Father humbles himself, goes out, and treats the brother. And did you notice, and this, this guy's, this is so important. At the end of the day, the older brother, at the deepest level, was just like the younger brother. He didn't really care about a relationship with the father. All he wanted was the father's stuff. You killed the fattened calf? They didn't eat meat much back then. It was a big deal. You never let me have some meat with my friends. He didn't care about the father. He just wanted the father's stuff. He just had a different strategy to get it. Maybe if I just stick around and try real hard, I can earn it. Okay. See the heart of the father towards both his sons. The outward, obvious rebel and the stuck-up, self-righteous one. This was an honor-shame culture. When the young son was coming back, the father should have just sat on the porch and waited. Probably slapped him across the face. Made him wait for days. Made him get an audience. But he didn't do that. He sprinted. Back then, old man didn't run. Partially because you wore these long robes. And to run, you had to like pull them up and it showed your legs. And that was supposed to be embarrassing. They didn't have suntans back then. You know, really white. You know, and they'd be embarrassed. But he, you had slaves to run for you. You didn't run. If you wanted something, you're like, hey, go get that for me. The father didn't care. He sprinted to his son. And probably part of what he was doing is he knew that all the townspeople, when they saw this loser of a son coming home, they were just going to start mocking and jeering him. But the father knew, if I can get there first and wrap him up in a bear hug, nobody will talk trash to my son if I'm there. You see what he's doing? He's covering the shame of his son by taking it on himself. And then he basically does the same thing with the older brother. He leaves the party to go out and pursue him. Guys, this is such a beautiful and rich picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in the Gospel. He left His place of privilege and honor and rights. And He came to the earth and lived a poor and humble life and suffered terribly and went to the cross and was stripped naked and He didn't have any shame of His own, but He took on the shame of all the people that would ever sin against Him who one day, one day by grace will repent. Sinners like me and you. I don't have to bear my shame anymore. You don't have to bear your shame anymore. You come to Christ and He has borne it for you and He covers you with the robe of His righteous life. And so as we come to the end of this retreat, if you're still not a Christian... I pray that you would not let anything turn you away from such a great Savior. And if you're like, no, I really think I am a Christian. Wonderful. Then live like a Christian. Have a heart for the lost. Love them. Seek after them. At minimum, guys, keep a heart that's open to them, that's inviting to them. Be the person 
that when the famine comes in their life, when they get to the bottom of the pig trough and they're like, I don't know who to call, they feel like, I can call him. I can call her. She's always been nice to me. He's always been kind to him. Even though I treat him like a jerk, there's something about him. Be that person that would show people the heart of the Father. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching. 